Today we're probably going to wrap up this series on authority and start something new down, down the road. Not that the, we've exhausted the Word of God on this topic at all. There's still much more in the Word of God, more that we can study. But we'll move on to, to something else. So if you could turn over into 2 Samuel chapter 15. We entitled this, Don't Feed the Animals. How many have ever seen those signs? Certain zoos, certain places, don't feed the animals. Don't feed, the, if you go out in some of the parks and things, don't feed the animals. You get the animals used to getting food from you, then they don't go out and find it themselves. It doesn't help them out. If you feed the animals, sometimes the wrong animals end up hanging around. I'll tell you, if you go down to shore, don't feed the seagulls. It makes them more aggressive. And they start when not waiting for you to feed them. They just start taking stuff that you got. That's not so helpful. We title this, Don't Feed the Animals, because sometimes we feed the wrong thing in our life. And it grows. Wrong things hang around. Over in 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1. After this it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. And so it was whenever anyone who had a loss came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me. Then I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put, his, put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this matter, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom... I'm sorry, probably should be uh, a little different than that. Now it came to pass, uh, please, let, please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt in Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he went, arose and went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went two hundred men, Invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. One of the mistakes we can make as Christians, especially when we look at this area in authority, is that sometimes we misunderstand when someone is growing in the area of leadership growing in the area of their walk with the Lord and it's just outright rebellious. And we have to make sure we discern the difference because it's a big mistake to make a wrong judgment in that way. We see here that Absalom, who is certainly a, re a rebel, he is rebellious. And we spent time on this before. I haven't really covered this story in a, in a number of years. But if you look at all the chapters that are involved with these, this you'll see that he was very upset at his father because his father didn't do some things that he thought he should have done. And he didn't deal with some problems in the house that he felt like he should have dealt with a little bit better. And so he held this grudge and eventually he was banished from the land because he killed the brother that he felt his father should have judged a little bit better. He made his way back once he got back into the land, he worked his way into the good graces of his father, but his father still didn't want to have a whole lot to do with him. So he began to work in this conspiracy. He was going to take his father out from being king because as he saw it, he was the rightful heir to the throne. David wasn't doing a good job. And some help is needed to get David out of the way so that Absalom can take over. Most rebellious people think they will do a better job than the person who's in a job already. Be careful when those thoughts begin to creep in. How many of you ever, don't raise your hand on this, just use your inside hand. How many have ever been in a job, working in a place in a church, working, working any place at all, and it comes up in you, I could do a better job than that person? Yeah, that's the spirit of rebellion. Don't live in, don't give into it. Rebellion will not help you. 
David could have had this spirit of rebellion come up in him. How many times did he see Saul doing things against God in a wrong way and David continually stood against this? No, I'm not going to lift a hand against him. It's God's job to put me into that position. It's God's job to take him out of that position. And he held to it. And he was a man after God's own heart. Absalom was different. Absalom says, no, I need to help God out. I need to get David out of the way. David is not doing this in a, in a very, very good way. Have you ever seen this in the workplace? People conspire against folks in the workplace to get them out, to oust them, so they can take their position, they can get them out. I hear people talk about their jobs all the time and the politics that are involved and the things that are going. It's, it's just sad. And it's hard to be in that atmosphere. It's a rebellious mentality. And if you, you either adopt that rebellious mentality and become rebellious yourself, then, then everything seems to be okay. Or you stand true to what you're supposed to do and then the re, those that are in rebellion come against you. And you can become on the outs as well. So what do you do with this? This is what Absalom did. He decided to get a conspiracy going. And he calls for Ahithophel. If you've heard me uh, get in this before or heard other people, you probably know that Ahithophel is the grandfather of Bathsheba. And that he held a grudge because of what David did with Bathsheba. And when he saw Absalom, he found someone in which he could carry out this grudge. So Ahithophel stayed as one of David's counselors, even though he was against them, and looked for an opportunity. And when he saw Absalom, he said, I'll bet you... He, would, he could be a good guy, so he probably called Absalom over for coffee. Said, Absalom, sit down and chat. How do you feel about David? Is he treating you okay? Probably worked conversation around so that Absalom could unload all his frustrations. And he knew that he had one of kindred, kindred spirit. Probably said something to him like, David's not operating as a king the way he should, and we need to remove him. Here's a plan. Here's what we can do. It's going to take a few years. It's not going to happen overnight. But we put a couple of years into this and we can get this going. And he begins to lay out a plan for him and he tells him, you need to go over to the gate. And as people come in to hear the court cases, I happen to know that David hasn't gotten enough judges. And not everybody is being heard. So you hear some of them out by the gate. And you tell them, regardless of what their case is, you tell them their case is good. Their case is, is right. Their case is just. And you be friendly to them. And you be likable because you're a likable guy. And so you keep on doing day after day. And pretty soon they would hear Absalom hear their case. And Absalom would say, your case is right. Your case is just. But you're probably not going to be heard by the king today. Uh, you can go on in there, but you're probably not going to be heard. And your case will continue to go on. Or if they are heard... The person who heard it heard both sides. And he decided. And if he didn't decide for them, then he's thinking, well, Absalom thought I was right. And this would stir up trouble in all of Israel. So now you've got some that have an undercurrent. I like Absalom better. I wish we could just move to Absalom now. I know he's in line for the throne. He's the next one who's going to take over. We should just go there now. Get rid of David. And that began to, to grow. David wasn't apparently aware of this. But every day he would come out to the gate and just hang out and listen to people. In other words, he had no job. He engaged in gossip all day long. In Proverbs 21, verse 2, it says, Every, man, every, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. This is something we've got to be careful about, and it's so hard for Christians to do this because our way in our eyes is always right. It is always correct. Even when we get off, our way is right. Because I know why I'm doing it. I know who pushed me to it. I know who didn't do things. No matter what, the way that I'm going, the reason I'm going that way is because it's right. Have you seen this at the workplace? People are doing things. Why are they doing that? Because they think it's the right way to do it. And you can tell it's not right. It's wrong. You'll see this even with people. If you're going to a store... You'll see that people will shop right or shop, shoplift. Why will they do that? 
Well, they're charging too much money for these things. It's not right. I've been coming to this store for 20 years. They keep raising prices on it. I'm just taking back what's mine. They feel that their way is right. Have you ever talked with people like that? And they keep on going down to that path. They'll begin to do worse and worse things and feel that they're right for it. Absalom feels that he's right. He's looking to steal the hearts of the people. But he's not acting truthfully. He's winning people over by being a hypocrite. I put in your outline this. People generally are afraid of the truth. Just look around today. How quickly is a lie assimilated? And how difficult is it for truth? You go around and you talk to people about evolution. How quickly they adopt that. But you tell them that Jesus Christ created all things. They're resistant to that. Now, Absalom here in this story, it shows us that Absalom all this time is pretending to be submissive to the king. But out there in the, in the real world, he's not. He's undermining the king. He leads this rebellion out of Hebron. That was the original city that David reigned from Judah from. It's also not far from Ahithophel's hometown. Now, here's a funny thing. If Ahithophel is successful in getting this revolt to work with Absalom... When a new king takes over a throne, not handed the throne like you would in a, as a birthright. When he comes in and he takes over the throne, usurps the throne, most of the time the king will put to death all the other sons. Because they will, will um, they're rivals. They're people who can come and take the throne away from them. So they generally will do that. Now here's the thing. Absalom is not Bathsheba's child. If Ahithophel is doing all this to get back at David for what he did with Bathsheba, what's going to be the fate of Bathsheba if Absalom takes over the throne? Now, generally, all the sons are put to death. Often, so are the queens. All the other wives are usually put to death as well. So he must have tried to work out some kind of a deal. Ahithophel, with Absalom, you will not kill Bathsheba or her sons. And if you're Absalom, you'd say, okay. But what happens once he takes the throne? You have a person who's shown you his character. He's rebellious. And you don't think he's going to rebel against you? But anyway, he goes on. Verse 13, Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart lest he overtake us and suddenly bring disaster upon us. Well, this is not going to be a good thing. Conspiracy was strong. David didn't know anything about it. All of a sudden, the, the trumpet is blown and things happen. And he has to make haste and get out. Verse 15, And the king's servant said to the king, We are your servants ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. And the king went out with all his household after him. But the king left ten women, concubines, to keep at the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Then all the servants passed before him and all the Cherethites and all the Pelethites and all the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath passed before the king. So he still kept his original unit together. Then the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today since I go and I know not where? Return. Take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. And Atai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Atai, Go and cross over. Then Atai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. Now, this guy tells you something right here. He just came to David yesterday, according to David. They just connected yesterday. Apparently, made a pretty strong connection. He was exiled from his, his place. And he says, no, wherever you're going to go, I'm going to go with you. It doesn't matter. But he, I just met you yesterday. Now, this, we look at this and we say, wow, what, what a man of time must be. But really, doesn't this testify to David's character? David is such a man of character that someone who just met him yesterday wants to stay with him. 
even though it looks like he's on the losing side. His 600 men that he's carried around for a while are still around, still intact, and they're going to follow him. It tells you something about David as a leader. David has some weaknesses. And Ahithophel is going to try and exploit them in order to get Absalom to take over the throne. No leader is without their weaknesses. They're going to have their strengths. They're going to have their weaknesses. No boss, no co-worker is always going to be all strengths. They're going to have strengths and they're going to have weaknesses. The spirit of rebellion wants to get you to focus on the weaknesses and how you can use them against them. But see, that's not the spirit of God. The spirit of God wants to come in and you help them in their weaknesses. There's a quote in the line. How many saw the movie Rocky? There's an interesting quote from the line on that and uh, in which Rocky is describing his relationship with uh, his, his girlfriend. Not sure if he was his wife at that point or, or what, but it basically went this way. He said, uh, she has holes. I have holes. Together, we don't have holes. <laughs> in other words, I got some weaknesses. She got some weaknesses. But more together, we cover each other's weaknesses. That's what it should be. If you have a boss at work, Look to cover their weaknesses, not expose them. You have a coworker, look to help them in their areas of weakness, not use it as something against them. The spirit of rebellion wants you to go the other direction. And that's one of the ways that you can tell. Christians today do not know the spirit of rebellion from the spirit of God. And they often follow the spirit of rebellion and do things they shouldn't do. This compromises your authority. This compromises your authority in the things of God. This compromises your authority in the things with Satan's kingdom. If you follow after the spirit of rebellion, how can you take authority over the kingdom of Satan? And the, and the devil knows this. If he can get you on his side, he's compromised you. But don't do it. The spirit of rebellion is very easy to find and very distinctive from everything else. But again, the way of a person is always right in their own eyes. Well, I know that it should be this way. There was an island. I forgot the name of, of which one it was in the, uh, in the Pacific during World War II. It was really not much of an island at all. It was not any kind of a resort. It was a very small area to, to be taken. The only thing that was on this island of note was that it was a military base and it had an airfield. And the powers that be decided that in the war in the Pacific, we needed to go after this island. And so they dispatched the Marines, they dispatched the Navy, the Air Force, the Army. Everyone converged on this island to take this small island controlled by the Japanese. We paid the highest death toll taking this island. They had to go on the ground, all the foxholes, and take each one out and lost a lot of men doing it. The men themselves were facing grueling battles because the Japanese were dug in so well. Grueling, horrible battles. And many of them said to each other, why don't we just give up? Why don't we just let this island go? Let's go for the mainland. Once we get the mainland, we can just surround these guys and starve them out. Why do we have to go foxhole to foxhole and take this place? But the powers that be, the authorities said, we need to take it. We need to do it. And so following orders, they continued to take the island and paid a heavy toll. Heavy toll to take the island. But they finally won. And then they moved on to the other places and all we got out of it was an airbase a place that you could land planes and take them off it didn't seem to be worthwhile as they moved on the war continued and eventually we ended the war we just had the uh, anniversary of I guess it was Hiroshima Nagasaki the president went on out there and did whatever he was doing out there I make no apologies for our country having dropped either of those bombs. If you understood the, the, the war, 
and what it was going to take and the amount of death that was going to happen to both sides. Dropping the bomb was actually a much smaller death toll than it was otherwise. But here's the thing about dropping that bomb. They knew they had it. As far as I remember from history, they had two. And the reason they dropped two in succession was because they wanted the power of saying, bang, bang, make a decision. They wanted them to think we had more. We had two. But they had to think that we had more. Or if they knew we only had two, they would, that would not have stopped the war. But the plane that had to fly this bomb and drop it, they're not all that, they weren't all that reliable. If it would have crashed into the sea, if they would have had trouble along the way, we would have lost one of only two bombs that we had. And so the reason that they spent all that manpower and all that time to take that island was because that island's air base served as a backup that if anything happened to the plane, they had a safe place to go and they could land it there and take care of whatever problems were going on with the plane. But the men who took the island didn't understand. They didn't know. They weren't told all those things because no one could tell you all the things about the bomb, about the, the secret Manhattan Project. All those things couldn't be told. All they could say is, we need to take the island. And the men did so. And they took the island. But if they would have done every man's way is right in their own eyes and given in to the discouragement, given in to the fear, given in to how many buddies they lost to their right and to their left, if they would have given them all these things and said, we're not taking this island, it's not worth it, it's just a rock. There's nothing here. If they would have thought that, they would have done those things. It would have messed with the overall plan. Here's the thing, folks. God is not always able to tell us the overall plan. The people that you work for at your job are not always able to tell you the overall plan. But what you need to do is when your boss, person in charge, comes and says, this is what we need to do today. This is what we need to do this week. This is what we need to get done. You need to jump on board and do it. And get right in there. Because that's what authority, that's what submission is. But the spirit of rebellion is always at work. And it will try and get you to say, why is that boss having you do this? I bet they're just setting you up to fail. I bet they just want to see that you don't get it done as fast, that you don't get it done as well. Or all these thoughts will begin to come in and you can become rebellious. Well, I don't think that should be done. I don't think I should have to do this. And discord begins to come out. You lose your joy at work. The opportunity that God has for you to be promoted could be gone. Remember the opportunities God had for Daniel and his buddies to get promoted? Could have been lost, folks, if they would have given into a spirit of rebellion. But they didn't do it. They continued to work for a king who was at times crazy, at times ungodly, and other times very sensitive to the things of God. And he bounced back and forth between them. But they continued to serve him. And God found ways to promote them and to move them up. How many times could Joseph have given in to a spirit of rebellion? And yet he didn't do it. Whatever it was that the bosses needed, whatever it is that the jailers needed, he did it. And he kept going. You may be serving under an unrighteous boss at work. You may have supervisors who are doing things that are not right. But if you continue to keep yourself going right, stay out of the area of rebellion, you can be promoted when everyone else is taken down. Just don't give in to it. Don't give in to rebellion. Don't give in to every man's way is right in his own eyes. You go before God and say, Father God, what do I need to do here? How is it that I need to go about this? If you have a problem with something that the boss is doing, Talk to the boss. Find out. But then once you go from there, you do what is what agreed to be done. That's what, needs to, that's what needs to happen. I saw this in a, in a church I was at one time where a decision was made and uh, there were about 10 people involved in the decision. And uh, once the decision was made, the pastor had gone out and he announced the decision and so forth. And as we were getting to the place that the decision was being announced, 
uh, two of these ten people decided, no, I don't like that anymore. I'm not going to stand by it. And I'll tell you what, I got fired. I didn't like the decision either, but we made the decision in the in the group. I was on my way out of there anyway and made the decision, and I just got fire mad at them and just said, you cannot do this now. We already had our time to discuss our pros and cons, and right before he was going to announce it to the church, they decided, no, we're not going to do it because they wanted to promote. Their, their spirit of rebellion had been evident in these people before. But they came out with it again. And their idea was they're going to stand against this decision because they knew that in the church some people liked it and some people didn't. And they would pull those people on their side who didn't like it. It's not right. That's not right. But you see, every man's way is right in his own eyes. Well, I don't feel that God is leading me. I don't see that God is in that decision. Oh, folks, I'll tell you why. We just, we hurt ourselves. We really do hurt ourselves. The spirit of rebellion is out. He will try and get you to rebel. Because if he can get you to be in rebellion, you will not walk in authority. You will not walk in God's authority. You will not accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. You cannot ever be put in a place to be trusted with God's authority because you were not able to be trusted in the places that you were at. Remember what Jesus taught? Be faithful with what is another entrusted with what is your own. Even if you serve the most unrighteous boss, leader, whatever, that even if you serve the most unrighteous one out there, if you resist the spirit of rebellion and follow after the ways of authority, God will see that. God will promote you. Think about Joseph. Do you think that everyone that he served under was a, a great leader? Do you think the people in the service of the prison, these were fantastic leaders? These are probably leaders who failed in other areas and were just brought out into, yeah, you take care of the prison. We don't care if you mess that up. They're probably not real good leaders, and Joseph had to serve under them. But Joseph continued and did not pick up a spirit of rebellion. Absalom did because he didn't like something that was done. He didn't like how the thing was handled. And he kept sowing those things and sowing those things. And don't, don't be doing it. David had this man at tie. Tried to convince him to go and to leave. He wouldn't do it. Verse 23, it says, Then all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kindron. And all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. There was Zadok also and all the Levites with him, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God. And Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. And if he says, Thus I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems Good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace. Your two sons with you, Ahimaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So he even says the, sends the ark back and the priest. He says, Look, if God finds favor with me, I'm coming. I'm coming back. So you all get back there. If God doesn't find favor with me, I won't be coming back. There's no sense in having you guys out here. It shows his trust in God. He's willing to send him back. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went out. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went. Then someone told David saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, there was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. And David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant, then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. Now, how would you like it if you're a friend? This, he calls him a friend of David. 
a friend. Not just a helper. He's a friend of David. And you come up and you meet your friend. You're sad because of all these things are going on. You come up and you see your friend. Your friend, first thing out of his mouth says, if you go with me, you're going to be a burden to me. How many feel edified? Well, see, this is a friend of David's. He can speak very frankly with him. He may not be saying that, hey, you're going to slow me down. Hey, you know, you're the weakest link in here. It's just he's saying this. Your skills, if you come along with me, don't help me. I'll have to feed you. We'll have to take care of you. We'll have to defend you. That's not, defense is not your, not, not your uh, best suit. He said, but what you do do, if you go back to Jerusalem, you can help me out. You go on back there and you tell him that you're going to be one of his counselors as well, just as you were mine. And when you hear the counsel of Ahithophel, you can say things against it. So he does it. All right, I'll go. I'll be a double agent. That's what he's going to do. He's going to become a double agent. I'm going to pretend to be working for this side. Actually, I'm working for this side over here. So he heads on out there. If you know the story, he gets over there and he begins to to talk to him. And first Ahithophel gets the counsel and he says, all right, this is what you need to do. And he does those things. And they were good counsel. They were things that were going to help him become king. And then he pulls them all together again and he says, if you're going to defeat David, you need to go out there now. You don't want to take on the whole army. You want that army to come in and be under you. All you need to do is to take care of David. If you kill David, the rest of them will come under you just fine. But you've got to get David. We've got to do this fast. Before David gets uh, all his men strengthened and set and established, then you have to take him in battle. We need to do this quickly. And so he says, Ah, oh, that sounds like a good thing to do. Let's see what Hushai says. And so Hushai, he comes up and he, he says, Now I've got a different story for you. He says, uh, I mean, Ahithophel's counsel is usually really good. This one's just, it's just not quite there. This is what you need to do. He says, you need to show that you're king. You need to get all Israel together. Muster them up from all the 12 tribes. Bring them all together and all under your command. And you go out and you lead them in the battle. And then you defeat David. And everyone knows that you're king. And he said, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> You see, because you cannot embrace a spirit of rebellion without also having a spirit of pride. And he fed into that spirit of pride. And so he says, all right, well, for this time, the council of Hushai is better than the council of Ahithophel. And so he went after the council of Hushai. And Ahithophel, once he heard this, he saw the hand of God was not with Absalom. He had thought all this time that it was. All this time he began to think, you know, this is, this is God's direction. This is God's way. And he saw, no, the hand of God is not here. This will fail. And when it fails, they will kill me. So I'm going to take care of it myself. And he went home, put his house in order. And he killed himself. Because he knew, even though it hadn't failed yet, it was going to fail. But David did not become fearful when he heard that his greatest counselor had gone to the other side. He prayed to God. God... I pray that you turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now, he didn't say that Ahithophel become foolish. He just said, turn his counsel into foolishness. And that's exactly what he did through Hushai. Verse 35, And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar the priest with you there? Therefore it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar the priest. Indeed, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city and Absalom came into Jerusalem. And that's what they did when Hushai gave him that counsel and told him, and Absalom said, we're going to follow this. He sent one of the sons and said, this is what you got. You got some time. And David says, exactly what I needed was some time. This is great. When he heard that Ahithophel had gone the other side, listen to the words that he penned in Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Have you ever had people that have done that to you? He's hurt by Ahithophel's betrayal. But it does not make him afraid. Sometimes we've been betrayed by people and it makes us afraid. Don't be afraid. Go back to God. I want to take you over to another scripture. Isaiah 14, verse 12. We did look at this scripture last year sometime when we began this series. I want to take a look at it again. Talking about Lucifer, Satan. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. 
you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. On the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Five I wills, of which he declared. I will ascend into heaven. That's the first. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. This is what he said in his heart. Can you imagine having God as your leader? And you have a very high position in his kingdom. And you think things can be better. God the Father, all-powerful, all-knowing, most wise, greatest leader ever. And Satan rises up and says, we can do better. And tells it to the fallen to the angels, and one-third of them become fallen angels. One-third of the angels who followed after God in a perfect system decided, yeah, things could be better, and went along with them. Now, here's the funny thing. Those one-third of the angels never fall if Satan doesn't. They still stay on God's side. There are people in your life who have fallen and gone to the other side and never would have done so if a certain person wasn't in their life, if a certain thing didn't happen. Be on guard for yourself. The spirit of rebellion looks for opportunity. It looks for dissatisfaction. It looks for unrest. It looks for all these things. Well, they're not doing a very good job. I could be doing a better job. I I know what I'll do. I will, and we set up our own I wills. But he goes on, he says, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol. That's not quite what he wanted. He wanted to ascend to heaven. He got brought down and said, To the lowest depths of the pit, those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? Now, that's not talking about this earth that we live in now. There's one before us. We've taught on that uh, a number of times before, but just so you, you know, there was a world before Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are not the first men and women created on the earth. They are the first men and women created on the earth of our race of men. And it's really easy for you to see that because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the Hebrew, it says, and the earth was, or the earth became formless and void. And if you go over to Isaiah, Isaiah in his prophecy writes this, God did not create the earth formless and void. If God did not create the earth formless and void, then it was not formless and void. It became formless and void. And the earth came into judgment for which Satan brought them in. Demon spirits are disembodied spirits from the first race of men. Fallen angels are those angels who followed him. But he brought the world that then was into destruction. And Peter talks about a world that was destroyed by a flood. That's the world that was destroyed. Noah's world was not destroyed. The people died. But the earth was preserved. That's why the, the ark was built, to preserve the earth. And the earth, the animals, the people were preserved. But there was a world before then that was not. If you've ever heard of some of these discoveries that go way beyond 6,000 years and show that there was man on the earth, there absolutely was. And it is not against anything in the Bible. It's been a long time since we've gone through the story of Genesis, but there's a whole lot of evidence in the Word that shows there was a world here before. Satan, when he rebelled, brought it and the angels, fallen angels, into judgment. And the earth was judged. In the beginning, God created the earth, the heavens and the earth. 
And you know it from there. You all have it memorized. And when God came to the earth, he said, let there be light. And there was light. He did not create a sun. He does not create a sun at that point. It's not the word for create. Hebrew has two words for create. Barah and Asah. One is to create out of nothing, and one is to create out of something. None of those words are used when it says, let there be light. And there was light. Now, if you want a proof, you, can do, you don't have to go any, you don't have to go to science, you don't have to go anyplace else but the Word of God. On the Word of God, it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the what? The deep. And water covered the face of the earth. Water on the earth only exists in a very small envelope of conditions. The temperature must be above 30 degrees or so and below 220. You cannot maintain that, that uh, span of temperature without a sun. You cannot do it. You do not have gravity on the earth to have water on the earth without a sun. The only way there can be water on the earth is if there is already a sun. God does not create the sun when he says, let there be light. He merely says, and this is what the Hebrew bears out, let the laws that were once in operation that allow light to come upon the earth to come upon it again. He does the same thing with all the others too because all these things had once existed. Land was separate from water. Light shone in the darkness. Plants and animals inhabited the earth. And he just basically restored it all back again. And Lucifer took all those folks that were on the face of this earth and brought them into destruction. Now, I don't know if it was 100% all of them, a, a lot of them, what happened to the good ones? What happened? Did Jesus have to? Was there a, a, a way to bring them back before? Did they have? Did, did they fall? Was there a time when they lit? We don't know any of those answers. We just know that the world was here, and that Satan was brought into destruction, and he brought that destruction down upon the face of the earth. That cities were destroyed. That people died, and he brought them into that kind of destruction because he gave into the spirit of rebellion. Well, I'll put this in your outline here for you. I, I wrote this down. I didn't put this in your outline. If you want to carry this out and, and look this, this up, if you want to see David's thoughts, if you like reading the Psalms, if you want to see David's thoughts during all this rebellion that was going on, I'm going to give you a few Psalms that you can read. And these are ones that uh, they will be there. Psalms 3, Psalm 4, Psalm 27, 31, and 55 all deal with this time of rebellion. Now, don't make this mistake that some people, that some people make. We can, don't mistake learning for rebellion. There are some people who are learning in their Christian walk. They're not rebellious. They're learning. Don't mistake them for, for rebellion because if you do, you come after it differently. Don't mistake rebellion for learning. There's a difference. If you mistake rebellion for learning, an Absalom can work into your life. Create some problems. Don't do it. You'll work with some people, folks, that are going to be Absaloms. They are out to get you. They are out to undermine you. Don't treat them as learning. They know plenty. And they're out to get you. Deal with them as David dealt with Absalom. Just know that they're out there. Now, here's, here's what rebellion. Rebellion sees weakness in other leaders and strength in themselves. That's what a rebellion will do. A rebellious person constantly sees weaknesses in everyone else, but in themselves they see strength. That's the spirit of rebellion. Alarms should go off on the inside of you when you see that. That's not a person who's, missed, who's just not learning right. This is a person who's going in the wrong direction. Remember the Jesus teaching? Why are you out there trying to take care of the little speck in your brother's eyes? Take care of the log in your own eyes? Then you can see clearly to take care of the speck in your own? 
Yeah, that's what a leader does. A leader takes care of what's going on in their own life first and then heads on out there and says, you know what, I've already dealt with stuff like this in my life. Let me try and help you with yours. And you don't, you don't deal with them like, man, what kind of a person are you to fall into this sort of stuff? That's not what a leader does. Not, not a leader that God wants. But rebellion sees weakness in other leaders and strengths in themselves. It's a constant thing. They don't see weaknesses in themselves. They see strengths in themselves and weaknesses in others. Reasons for my promotion. Rebellion sees reasons for my promotion and removal or demotion of others. A person who is given into the spirit of rebellion always knows why they should be promoted. Have you worked with people like this? Well, I should be, I've been here longer than anyone. Well, I know this system better than anybody else does. Well, I've done more. Well, I have this. They have all the reasons for their own promotion. And then when they talk about other people, well, they should be taken out. They should be removed. They should be demoted. They should, they should not be doing what they're doing. This is the spirit of rebellion. If you hear this kind of language, I'm sure you don't hear this coming out of your own mouth. Talking about other people, right? If you hear it, that's rebellion. That's not learning. That's rebellion. You got all the reasons for their own promotion and all the reasons why other people should be removed or demoted. Rebellion covets what is in others. Word of God says, Thou shalt not covet. What's rebellion do? I want that job. I want that position. I want that that they have. Whatever it is they got, I want it. I want that. And then they come after you because you got it. Absalom is coming after David because David has the throne. And he thinks he's going to do a better job of it. You, you covet what's another person's. David, did David covet Saul's kingdom? Never did. It was promised to him. And he just patiently waited until it would come to him. But he's not going to be caught up in a covet with that thing. Don't covet what is another person's. It's up to God to bring that to you. Rebellion tries to usurp instead of receive. David sat back and let the kingdom of God come to him. He didn't try and usurp it. Even when Saul died, he does not try to usurp it. He does not try and take it. He waits. And Judah calls him in and makes him king for seven and a half years. And he takes that. And then eventually Israel calls him in. Says, hey, we want to make a king over the whole land. But rebellion tries to usurp instead of receive. Don't be doing that. Now, rebellion can also move you into a place of self-demotion. God may be saying, do this. You say, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. And you take yourself out. That's rebellion too. That's not one you see as, as much, but it certainly is one that's out there. One of the greatest errors we can make, folks, is to mistake learning for rebellion or rebellion for learning. Here's one of the big, greatest things you can do to keep yourself in the right spot. Stay teachable. Stay teachable. Rebels are not teachable. The more you give in to the spirit of rebellion, the less you will receive from others. The less you can be taught. The less someone can come over and correct your life. It just won't happen. That's rebellion. But learning, you may do some things wrong, but if someone comes over to you and says, hey, this is what the Word of God says, this is how you ought to do it. Oh, I'm going to do it that way. <laughs> and you change. Stay teachable. Pride keeps us from being taught. Humility puts us in a place to be taught, to receive. That's what we need. Stay teachable. Continue to walk in love. If you need to correct someone, as we told you in the, some of the Sundays before, if you need to correct somebody, get a heart for that person. Be praying for them. Be interceding for them. If you think that someone is a rebel, take them out to lunch. Meet them for breakfast. Get to know that person and find out. Because if they are rebellious, you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. And you can tell. That Spirit on the inside of you will come up and say, Rebel. Rebellion. All over them. You can hear them talk. 
Just let them, just let them talk. And you will hear them put down other people. You will hear them try to usurp. You will hear them covet. You will hear all those things we just gave you in that list. They will say it with their words. And you will know this is a rebellious person. But if you hear other things, ah, this person is teachable. This person is just learning. I need to help them to learn. I need to get involved in their life so that the right people are there teaching them and helping them. Oh, I tell you what, you can make somebody's life completely different. As a commercial goes, a guy, that older guy gets on the thing. You know, stay thirsty, my friends. Substitute that. Stay teachable. Stay teachable. Always be absorbing. Always be learning. Let God be speaking to you. Don't let your authority be compromised. Understand what your authority can do. Because your authority that you have in, the, in God is exceedingly powerful. More so than we know. And you can do great things with it. You can help out a lot of people. We, sp- we spend time looking at how to get permission to work in other people's lives. We, looked at time- we spend time looking at jurisdictions. Make sure you stay within your jurisdiction. Your area that God has called you to. And take that authority. When the wrong things come against you, take that authority. When the enemy tries to say, you don't have the right, know what you have the right to do. Know what your jurisdiction is. Know what the Word of God has promised you. And you stand on what you know is yours. Don't give in. You don't have to get nasty. You don't have to get loud. You don't have to flail your arms, throw things. All you need to do is stand on the Word. Follow the example that Jesus gave. And walk in the authority as he walked in it. Oh, it'll be good. Don't prejudge people. Don't just, well, those folks are wrong. No, go get, get to know them. Spend that time. Like I said, take them out to lunch. Meet them for breakfast. You got trouble with some people at work? Don't just avoid them. Father God, what can I do? How can I help them? Take them out to breakfast. Treat them. Treat them. Good thing to do. Just say, come on, I want to take you out to breakfast. Why do you want to do that? I just do. You don't have to have all the greatest insightful questions. You can just let them talk because the spirit of rebellion will come out. They don't contain it, they have a hard time. They, they know the right things to say, but they're not always able to say them. Just let them talk. You can identify them. Oh, this is a rebel. All right, so you deal with them differently. But. If they're learning, Father God, they're learning. Can I help them get to the right place? Oh, you sure can. Just enough of me. Father, we thank you for the authority that you have given us in Jesus Christ. All authority was given to him. And he has sent us. We're going to walk in that authority. We're going to heal people in the name of Jesus through that authority. We're going to move mountains We're going to open up doors. We're going to create opportunities. I thank you, Father, that you speak to us, that you help us. You want us to walk in all the authority that you've granted us. We want to learn more about it because authority needs confidence. We need to have that confidence growing that where we are stepping is where we're supposed to be. I thank you, Father that you help us even when it seems like the enemy's not listening we saw with the boy the disciples couldn't cast out the demon or the legion of demons that Jesus was speaking to over and over come out of him but we stay with it victory is ours I thank you for it Father we've got some battles ahead of us Some might be strong battles. Some might be medium-sized battles. Some might be small. But whatever battle is coming, you have a way to prepare us and to make us ready. Some of the small battles we face here are just getting us ready for the battles that are to come. Thank you, Father, for all the help that you give us. You are training us up 
not just for what we will be on this earth, but what we will be in the next kingdom and the kingdom that follows that one. You have a plan for us on all three of those kingdoms. And we want to follow after that plan. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread and the wine. Ministered to teach his disciples. On the night that he was going to be betrayed. On a night that his authority was going to be challenged. On a night that his authority could have called for a legion of angels. On a night that he had to resist calling on those angels. On a night that he had to know the plan of God and stay with the plan of God and not follow any other plan. On a night when he went into the garden and said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But if not, let it be your will and not mine. That Jesus Christ had another will, another way that he could go, that he thought would work. And he never disclosed that. Never showed it to anybody. And no one to this day knows what it is. But he stayed with it. He strengthened himself in the plan of God. And he did what was so difficult and so hard. Because he loved us so much. When we think of how much he went through to bring us to the place of salvation. How much are we willing to go through to walk out His authority here on this earth? To put up with some people who need to grow. To battle some people who are in a rebellion. Jesus battled those who were in rebellion. He taught those who were learning. He knew the difference. You're going to have some Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and lawyers in your life. But you're also going to have some Peters, James, and Johns, some Matthews, Bartholomew. You're going to have some Marys, some Marthas. not all rebels but they all make mistakes as Jesus demonstrated for us let's walk the way that he walked on the night he was betrayed he took the bread gave thanks for it and broke it and said this represents my body which is broken for you as often as you eat this bread you drink this cup Remember me. Let's remember what he did on his body for our body. Let's read together. Word tells us that after supper, he took the cup and he said, This represents the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. His blood didn't cover our sins. It washed them away. It paid the price for our redemption. We have been bought by a price. We are no longer our own. We are His. As we drink together, let's remember His sacrifice for us.
change with an increase in salary and stock options. Hallelujah. This came after we already received our merit increases last month. Hallelujah. Amen. To our Lord who provides exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ever ask for thanks. Amen. Amen. Praise God for that one. Um, this is from Ray. He says, <clears throat> 30 years ago, tomorrow, God placed me in an institution dedicated to health and healing. Even before I was restored to the Lord, he watched out for me. His presence has been around me a long time. I praise God for his influences even when I did not recognize them. Glory to him forever. Amen. How many of you have had that experience yourself or find out after the fact that God was there all the time? Um, I have two praise reports. Some of you on Facebook already saw them, but Christian received a promotion. Um, he's now Petty Officer Third Class. And he also is a, let me get this, command fitness training leader. <laughs> so he gets to actually lead the, um, the fitness trainings for the week. Instead of having to be yelled at, he gets to yell at people. 